It's Midday Magazine for Monday, September 11th. My name is Shelby Herbert, and I report for KFSK. Getting rid of garbage in southeast Alaska has always been expensive, and recently a significant increase in waste disposal costs has Petersburg looking for alternatives locally and regionally. But the logistics of dealing with trash in the community means that there are no easy answers. KFSK's Hannah Floor has the story. It's trash day on OCM Street in Petersburg. Kelly Davis is driving the garbage truck. She's been on the job less than a year, but she already has lots of stories about the things she sees in garbage cans. And I opened it up and it was a dead chicken. I'm like, oh! That's right. A dead chicken. Shut the lid and I was with Mikey and I'm like, there's a chicken in there! And he's like, oh yeah, it happens. I'm like, God! That chicken is just a tiny portion of the millions of pounds of garbage that Petersburg gets rid of each year. And the borough just signed a trash disposal contract that's 34% more expensive than the last one. Now they're hoping to find ways to lower costs for customers in the remote town with already sky-high living expenses. But trash disposal in southeast Alaska is expensive and complicated. Because it's an archipelago, towns can't just truck their garbage down the highway to a shared landfill. A lot of municipalities compress their trash into giant blocks, called bales, and barge it down to the lower 48. Chris Cotta is director of public works in Petersburg. Shipping prices at this point in time are the biggest challenge that we have across the region. The increased cost of Petersburg's new waste disposal contract won't be passed on to residents this year. But higher costs will eventually mean higher prices for customers. One of the easiest solutions is simply throwing away less. Kata estimates that nearly half of baled trash could be composted or recycled. It's safe to say it's a really significant portion of what goes into a garbage can could be diverted in some fashion, either converted to compost or put into a recycling stream and, and reused as something else. The local tribe, the Petersburg Indian Association, already has a small composting program. Kata is working with the tribe to look into the possibility of expanding the program for the whole community. But Kata and others are also exploring region-wide solutions. Over a decade ago, eight municipalities in southeast banded together to look at possibilities. Kata is acting chair of the group called the Southeast Alaska Solid Waste Authority, or CISWA, he says that while Juno, Sitka, and Ketchikan are not yet members of CISWA, he hopes they'll join eventually. If we could get some of the larger communities to join up and be part of CISWA, I do think we'd have a lot more bargaining power. He says that if most communities in Southeast join CISWA, together they may be able to bring down the price for future contracts with shipping companies. They're interested in exploring other ideas as well. When CISWA looked at solutions about a decade ago, they found bailing and shipping garbage south to be the most effective. That's why many communities moved to that model. Bacata says increased shipping costs have changed that calculation. He's also curious whether new technologies could be a part of the solution. In Petersburg, the coming price increase for most customers will only be the equivalent of a few cups of coffee each month. That might not seem like a lot, but Kata is concerned. He says if garbage prices go up too much, some customers just won't pay. We end up with a situation where garbage is being tossed in the woods or collecting on properties because people can't afford to get rid of it. 
And for organizations that produce a lot more trash than the average household in Petersburg, the cost really does add up. The increase to garbage costs at the Petersburg School District would be a lot more than a few coffees. Shannon Baird is the director of finance at the district. She's calculating the potential increase over a school year. You know, we were estimating maybe $15,000. That's $15,000 that we don't have to put into other things like student activities and school supplies. CISWA plans to apply for funding to conduct a study this fall. They hope it will help determine the best path forward for southeast Alaska. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. A new study suggests that booming hatchery populations could increase the risk of salmon suffocation in rivers and streams across southeast Alaska. As conditions get hotter and drier due to climate change, scientists believe hatchery strays could create overcrowded, smothering conditions and put wild salmon at risk. Anna Canny has the story in Juneau. In 2013, researcher Chris Sargent was doing some routine water quality monitoring in Sitka's Indian River when he noticed the oxygen levels in the water were unusually low. Pretty much lethal, getting close to zero. Fish started dying off, and many of them were hatchery-raised pinks. Sargent developed a hypothesis. Too many salmon breathing too much oxygen, and it's unnaturally high population because of these stray hatchery fish. A new study by Sargent and his research team suggests that across southeast Alaska, straying hatchery salmon could put pressure on wild salmon habitat that's already vulnerable due to climate change. The water in rivers and streams has dissolved oxygen in it, which salmon and other fish breathe through their gills. When those fish can't get enough oxygen, it's known as hypoxia. It can suffocate spawning salmon. Or it can slow them down on their trip upstream. They may not make the spawning grounds in time or have enough time to spawn. So there's a lot of really subtle effects in addition to just massive die-offs that might happen. Since the 70s, hatchery production across Alaska has grown, especially for pink and chum salmon. Hundreds of millions of fish are released each year. They're supposed to return to their hatchery when they spawn, but they commonly stray into wild streams. According to the study's authors, that puts wild salmon at a higher risk of hypoxia. Many southeast rivers and streams already face low oxygen due to human-caused climate change. Hotter water holds less oxygen, and when warming temperatures come along with drought, that makes things even worse, because an ideal salmon habitat is rough and fast-flowing. That kind of water is oxygen-rich. The more the water tumbles and foams, the more opportunity has to exchange with the atmosphere, so that tumbling motion of the water is basically injecting oxygen. Climate change could slow stream flows by bringing drought to southeast Alaska. Extreme rainstorms may be punctuated by longer dry periods, especially in the summer. And declining mountain snowpack could cause drought, too. Ryan Belmore is a U.S. Forest Service researcher who co-authored the study. He said abundant winter snow feeds watersheds as it melts gradually throughout the spring and summer. Without it, salmon streams could dry up and slow down in the summer heat. We're moving towards a condition where more of our watersheds are likely going to be more prone to this. According to the study, more than 10,000 miles of southeast salmon streams are primed for hypoxia, which means those cramped conditions could strangle even more wild salmon. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. This was a cold and terrible year for growing pumpkins. Still, the acknowledged master of Alaska pumpkin growing proved, once again, that he's a giant in his field. Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin reports from the Great Pumpkin Way Off at the Alaska State Fair. 
Dale Marshall of Anchorage, holder of the state record for giant pumpkins, rolls up with two colossal gourds on a flatbed. Fair officials and volunteers go gaga. Marty Robb has grown some giant vegetables herself and says Marshall is a pumpkin pioneer in a cold climate more suitable for cabbage. Definitely. He's brought something. The world watches Dale and what he does with his pumpkin weights because it never should be done this way here. She breaks off mid-sentence when she sees what Marshall has. Oh, here. I'm sorry, but that's amazing. Tension mounts as the pumpkins are gently transferred by heavy equipment. Who's driving the forklift? That's Rocky. Does he get nervous? Oh my God, I'm nervous. Have Dale look at that pallet. Oh. As it turns out, the tines on the forklift are too short and the pumpkin tips on its platform. Everyone knows what's at stake if a pumpkin is bumped too hard or, God forbid, dropped. A pumpkin with a crack or hole would be disqualified. Marshall keeps his cool and improvises a solution using lumber. Last year, his record-breaking pumpkin weighed more than 2,100 pounds. Marshall says he knows neither of his 2023 contenders can equal that. Oh, no. 17 to 19, I'm hoping, right in there. The scale shows one of Marshall's pumpkins is in that range, nearly 1,900 pounds. But the other is heavier. Ready? You're here. just like the year, Marshall holds both arms in the air. Pumpkin silver medalist Keith Malone of Chugiak grew a 600-pounder, a personal best. But Malone says second place is as good as it gets for him. I I trust Dale to be here with a big one every year. Dale Marshall says after the fair, his winning pumpkin will be in his yard in Sand Lake for kids to play on. Then he'll collect the seeds and leave the remains of his giant pumpkin to the moose. Reporting from the state fairgrounds in Palmer, I'm Liz Ruskin. Although summer is winding down, Sitka's cruise season is still going strong. On September 5th, over 9,000 passengers and still more crew members packed the main downtown thoroughfare, which was closed to traffic for the day. For better or worse, this scene is not likely to change in the near future. On September 6th, Sitka's cruise terminal operator told the Sitka Chamber of Commerce that he expects another huge cruise season next year. And although he's working on a plan to distribute more passengers to activities closer to the terminal and to reduce the volume of bus traffic, he says he has no plans to turn away any ships. Catherine Rose reports from Sitka. Barring any unforeseen ship cancellations in the shoulder season, Sitka's set to see slightly more cruise passengers in 2023 than initially predicted, with the season rounding out at around 560,000. Shuttling the bulk of those visitors to and from Sitka's privately owned cruise dock has been a top concern for many residents. Chief among them complaints about traffic, congestion and environmental impacts. Cruise terminal owner Chris McGraw told the Chamber of Commerce that he plans to cut bus shuttling down by half in the next five years by spreading out arrival times and developing more tours and attractions out the road. 
From his end, the shuttle operation is one of the cruise terminal's biggest expenses, and the logistics are further complicated by when the ships arrive. Uh, Ovation of the Seas yesterday, and it had an 8 a.m. arrival, and we had no queue all morning here at the cruise terminal. Yet, you know, when they come in at 10 a.m., we'll have 1,500 people in line with a 15 to 20-minute wait to get on a shuttle. So those are those arrival times significantly affect the level of bus traffic and shuttle traffic that we have to have on the roads. Uh, my goal is to work with the cruise lines uh, on future years to help alleviate that demand on the shuttle by spreading out those arrival times and, and, and working with the itineraries. McGraw and his tour company, Adventure Sitka, are no longer involved with a plan to develop 17 acres of city land with Shiatica Incorporated. Instead, he'll be expanding the dining and retail facilities at the terminal and adding a 260-seat theater, which he hopes will help disperse passengers on arrival. It'll be utilized for live performances uh, and informational immersive video presentations. Uh, We're looking to work with some of the the local venues uh, to provide content and experiences. And then the goal with this will be to help reduce that demand on that shuttle. If a ship comes in, you know, you could have 260 people that have tickets to that to a first showing that aren't going to necessarily want to go get on uh, the very first shell of the town. So it helps distribute people throughout the community better. But these changes don't address the question foremost in the minds of many residents. The record-breaking number of cruise passengers visiting Sitka this year. That came through during the Q&A portion of McGraw's virtual presentation. One person asked, quote, do we have to have 500,000 passengers? McGraw said that was up to the market and the available infrastructure, but he wouldn't turn a cruise ship away. If there's demand to come to Sitka and the infrastructure is available for a space, um, as a private business owner, and if I can accommodate him from with, with respects to my, my resources and my shuttle operation, I'm going to book that, that ship. Um, obviously, we have a significant investment we've made here over the last 10 years, and, you know, the, the point of a, a for-profit business is to get a return on that investment. So we do that through customers and our customers are the cruise ships. Not every cruise ship that calls in Sitka uses the cruise terminal. On the busiest days, smaller cruise ships may anchor in front of town and bring passengers ashore on one of two lightering docks in the harbor. Nevertheless, McGraw said Sitka can expect the same level of cruise traffic next year, around 560,000 passengers. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Katherine Rose. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.